Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Amen, you can hear me? Good, good, good. Uh, it seriously is um, a privilege to be here. We've, we've heard about uh, Covenant Grace for five, six, seven years now since we've known the Heasleys, and so it's so cool to be with you guys. And I think it's quite cool to be in your, what's soon going to be your old venue. Uh, and this place is awesome. It looks quite strange from outside, the shape of it. We drove past last night, but it really is so cool to be here. So thank you so much for, for having us. Um, and we've left our two little kitties uh, with their grandparents. Um, I put a photo up. I don't know if it's a normal thing to do, but there's us um, on, on, our, on our holiday earlier in the year. Um, so that's my wife, Michelle, and I, and then our two boys. The oldest one is Harrison. He's about to turn <coughs> four, and then Andrew is about to turn one um, next month. And so that's them, and they are chilling with their grandparents. And uh, shame, and Andrew only went to bed at about 9.30 last night or something. Um, there, was a, there was a rookie error from Granny. She, she, she let him nap at, from five to six, and so it's, it's, totally, it's totally on her. Um, but also, uh, I've got a mate uh, in, the, in the, the venue today. He grew up in PE, my friend Howard, and um, I met him when, I was, when we were 18 at film school. And um, just want to honor him in front of everybody. He, uh, I, yeah, I don't know where I'd be faith-wise if I hadn't met him five weeks into being a Christian um, in my film school years. I met him on my first day of film school, and this was just a guy on fire from, from this part of the world. Um, and he had come down to Cape Town and really just walked a discipleship road with me for years. I mean, we're still good mates now. Here he is. Um, so it's good to have you here as well, dude. Um, thanks for having me in your old hometown. Um, so we're going to kick off, and we're going to kick off in a bit of a somber, a somber way. Um, this might, this might um, uh, uh, be a strange way to start off, but the, the, the thing is, you're doing a, a series on the Psalms, and uh, I saw your PowerPoint slide in the title of your series, Songs of Joy, and I thought, ah, oh, I'm bringing a lament. I'm bringing one of the, the 40 lament psalms um, today. So we're going we're to get into it, and <clears throat> can I ask you to just maybe close your eyes for a second and just picture a, a time or a season of trouble in your life. I don't know what it would look like. Um, it, it, maybe it's the season that you're going through right now. Um, but I want us to all just have a, uh, something in our heads as we study this psalm together. Um, you can open your eyes if you've got something there. Uh, for Mission I, I won't go into too many details, but seven or eight years ago, <coughs> we had a proper just season of trouble, I could call it, when um, within the space of an hour, so much changed in our little friendship circle. One of our friends got arrested, and it turns out he'd been leading a double life um, with some pretty serious criminal activity, and he was whisked away. Um, and the next few days were just spent reeling and just trying to piece together what we were going through. And I, I, I even said at the time, and I'll say it now, it was, it was worse than when I lost my father at a young age because th that I could deal with, it was like a part of life, whereas this you had to then go back in your head and relive the last few years and try to figure out what was going on and who was this person and, and all of this. And I just remember the feeling over the next few days after that event, just we would wake up in the morning and we would just be silent, 
just did, had nothing to say. We just stare at the blank wall. Um, we had to go. I remember just getting a haircut and being like, I just don't want to, um, sorry, hairdresser, I just can't talk today, so can you just cut my hair quietly? We won't have the normal, the normal banter and back and forth. Um, so I don't know, you know, you might have much more crazier things than that. You, you might not have gone through something like that. Um, but Psalm 31, which we're going to jump into today, I think is an example of how to respond in times like these, in times of trouble. Um, and it also contains what I think are the core beliefs that, that you and I need to, we need to hold if we're going to be able to navigate those times appropriately, if we're going to be able to respond well and respond how God would want us to respond as those who know and, and love Him. And maybe you're in this time right now. I know it's the, let's just rip the band-aid off. It's the beginning of the year. We're doing songs of joy and we're going to be talking about lament. But I know some of you might be going through some really rough patches in this holiday season. Um, and so you're in that kind of season now. Maybe you're not. But hopefully you can then use today to um, help navigate those seasons with someone else right now. But also, no doubt, you will have a season of trouble or a time of trouble coming. And maybe you can call on some of this stuff uh, when you arrive at that day. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. You're visiting this church today. I'm not sure what has led you here or, or why you said yes to an invitation to come, but we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to invite you to just lean in and hear about the God that we trust um, in, in the good times and the bad and just consider, consider your own life and consider what a relationship with that God would look like for you. Um, and what that would mean for your life. And so here's the plan. What we're going to do is we're just going to look at uh, two big buckets, if I can say that. The first big bucket we're going to look at is just asking the question, how do we lament? What is this thing of lament? And we're going to sort of do a 30,000-foot fly-through over Psalm 31 under that sort of banner and that question. And then we'll follow that up with um, a second part, which is what is the belief behind this lament? What has David got in his mind, in his heart? What's his framework that's helping him respond the way he's responding in this psalm to his day of trouble? So that's what we're going to do, um, and I'm going to jump in now, and we're going to just answer that first question. How do we lament? Uh, someone, I'm not sure who it was, said that Christ followers in life, when they encounter situations, essentially have two big responses that you can offer to a situation. The one is going to be thanksgiving, and, and the other is going to be lament. And those two things could almost encompass any situation that you could find yourself in in life. And uh, when things are great in life, uh, I, want to, I want to release people to, it's okay to, to not feel guilty when things are going well in life. I think we live in a culture that's actually trying to turn the dial up on, if things are going well, you should feel guilty about it. But actually, no, we should em embrace the blessings of God and thank Him and pour out our hearts in thanksgiving for His blessings, for His generosity. And then on the flip side, when things are not going great, the appropriate response is to turn to God in lament. And it's important to know how to lament. It's a practice, maybe even a word, that maybe not many of us are super familiar with. It's not a word that just gets thrown around in casual conversation, maybe outside of, of church circles. And my iPad can't even uh, spell lament. When you, when you type it in, it just automatically autocorrects it. I don't know if it's trying to be super positive, but it just autocorrects lament, and it just goes to lame too. That, uh, in the context of the sentence, it makes no sense, but my iPad wants to autocorrect lament to lame to. <clears throat> but um, we're all going to face times when we need to lament. And 
Let me say this. Um, when we encounter tough times, complaining and weeping, uh, throwing your toys out the cot, being genuinely angry with God, all of that may be uh, very real, very raw, very authentic, um, and we love being authentic in, in Cape Town. Authenticity is it's where it's at, man. Be authentic. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily good or true or, or, or biblical and godly. It's not necessarily the, the, the best way we should respond. No doubt there's elements of it that will come out there. But just because you've done that and you've thrown your toys out the cot and gotten angry and sworn at some people or sworn at God or whatever it might be like and you've left the authenticity on the floor, um, there may be more. There may be more. And biblical lament is no doubt um, contains cries of, of the, the deepest despair and the, the, the deepest anguish, but there's more than that. And there's a, there's a, there's a pastor in, in Texas who is quite well known for, for saying, it is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And I think that, is, that captures something of, of the both and. It's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to, to, to be in that space and to express certain things and then to, to move forward in what God has for us and the resources that God has provided for us. And so, as I say, nearly 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, and here is a, a structure of what a lament uh, looks like, and uh, it's, it's a rough structure. Our Psalm today is, is actually a bit more uh, loose, um, but all the elements come through, but essentially, it, it, it looks like this. There is a direct address to God from the person praying, writing, singing. There's a direct address to God. Then there is a, com a complaint, something is wrong, this is my situation, this is what I'm going through. Uh, there is then a request, uh, God, won't you come through in X, Y, Z way? Um, won't, you, won't you deliver me? Won't you, whatever it might be. And then it typically ends with an expression of trust. The last, the last beat of a lament is an expression of trust in God and who he is. And, and we're going to see all this coming out now in Psalm 31. So as I said, we're going to go quite high level um, and fly through the whole of the psalm and looking at how do we lament? How do we lament? So verse 1 to 8, here we go. Let's kick off. Um, and I'll say it like this. In, in times of trouble, run to God. In times of trouble, run to God. So here's David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they've hidden for me. For you are my refuge. And into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So you see, David, this might sound obvious, but David goes to God. David goes to God. That's his first port of call. He doesn't, uh, first thing, make the first stop off at his friends. He doesn't run to whatever it could be, the casino, the binge drinking, the Netflix binge drinking, um, whatever the options could be. He doesn't even go to his, his life group leader, 
Uh, he doesn't come first to necessarily to Greg and the elders. He goes to God first. I'm sure he's going to go to many people, but he, the most important thing is he goes to God. And he carries on. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, and I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. See, David here, he, he distances himself, in a sense, in his own head and heart, um, kind of showing no favor to everyone who's going to go do other stuff, go to other gods, go to other idols. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to go to God. And I'm going to go to God, he says, because I know God is attentive. The God of the Bible is attentive. And I know he's got a track record. Greg mentioned earlier, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So David says, I'm going to go to him. And maybe let's just ask the question. I gave us some options. But where do you typically run to first when trouble hits? And let's just be honest. We all know the, 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 the right answer is God. But he's, he's often normally st- you know, stopped two or three. Um, we normally make a few detours first, um, you know, whatever it might be, to the, fr- to the friend or just the, 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 the bad movie binge or what, I don't know what your thing is. What is your thing? Just take a second to be honest about that. Just think about it for a moment. It's a little, it's a little mini God that you actually run to, that I run to, to, to make me feel better um, when actually first port of call is meant to be the God of the Bible. We'll carry on, verse 1 to 8. We'll see this in there as well. Second thing, once we've gone to God, in times of trouble, ask for his help. Ask for his help. Now, I know, I know Greg and Wendy, so I know you guys believe in an all-powerful, omniscient, transcendent God who is sovereign and he is ruler over everything. But he is also, and I know you believe this too, he is also imminent. He's not just transcendent, he's imminent. That means he is close. He is near. He is available. He is accessible. And David asked the near God, the close God, for his help, for his deliverance. And I love this phrase that David uses here. He says he asked God to incline his ear towards him. And just, it's an, image, it's an image of God just leaning in close, coming in close. And picture, picture maybe a deathbed in a, in a hospital where someone just, they, they can hardly speak and, they're, and they're, they're trying to say whether it's their last words or they're just trying to speak to their loved one near the bed and, and they can just maybe get out a bit of a whisper and the person next to the bed just leans in really close to them, puts their, puts their ear right to their mouth to listen to what they're saying. That's God. That's, that's our God. He comes right in close and says, talk to me. Talk to me. I'm listening. I'm right here. Later on, he's going to acknowledge God as, as the one who hears his cry. And so we need to be people who, in times of trouble, run to God and ask for his help. Ask for his help. And I think I want, I want to say this again. It might be a freeing thing um, for some of us. I know it's freeing for me, but it's okay to ask God for help in times of trouble. 
Maybe my default to, to, uh, view of God can be the God who is large and in charge and, and I'm following and he's my king. But also, I need to recognize that he is the, he is the rescuer. He's, he wants to help. He wants to lean in. He wants to enter my world. He wants to enter um, the trouble that I am in. It's not, it's not evil. It's not wrong. It's not sinful to ask God for his intervention. Third thing, verse 9 to 13. In times of trouble, be honest about the situation. Be honest about the situation. So here goes David. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. I've been crying. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails me because of my iniquity and my my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Because those who see me in the street, they flee from me. I've been forgotten like like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, Terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Now, some of you may know David's stories. There's, 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 there's lots of times, especially when he was on the run from Saul um, in his early days where he was just surrounded by trouble. Uh, later on in his life when his son is trying to usurp his throne and David's on the run again, it's, 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 it's a mess um, Part of the mess is from his own sinfulness, as we, we see there, and we'll, we'll chat about that just now. But David comes here, and he, he actually details his distress to God. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've been crying, my body's sore, these guys are speaking things against me, you know, my own people are probably whispering things, misrepresenting me. It's okay to not be okay. We can pour our hearts out to God, and we should. God's heart is not for us to just bottle everything up and grit and bear it and, and put on the Christian smile. No, no, acknowledge the situation. Acknowledge all the ways that, that we might be feeling battered and bruised, whether it's right now, whether it's that day that's coming. But I think what's helpful is, and I'm trying to learn to do this more in my life, is <clears throat> also just get to the bottom of things. Try, try and actually get to the bottom of what's going on. What is why, why, is this, this, why has this conflict blown up so much? Um, what are all the things? What am I contributing to it? What have I contributed to this, this situation? Um, and that might take, your, whatever it might be, journaling, I find that helpful, not like journaling as such, but almost mind mapping, being like, what, what, is, what has gone wrong here? And just really offer to God the details of what you think is the lay of the land. Acknowledge the causes Right, It might be other people's sin against you, um, and some of it often can be the consequences of our own sin that maybe we don't even see at first. David, as I said, David alludes to that there, whether that's talking about him and Bathsheba, not sure, but David himself is saying, I've, I've made a contribution to this mess, um, and often we have too, um, or often our response to the mess is further complicating the situation. I don't know where you're at, I don't know what might be, what might, what, what, what you might face into the future, but um, it might just be the unfortunate circumstances of, of living in a broken world. But 
I think the question to just ask yourself is put yourself on a, on a spectrum map here. Um, what, what kind of person are you? Are you the type of person who actually just bottles stuff up and tries to grit and bear it for whatever reason? I don't know, you know, trying to offer strength to others, trying to pretend um, you're more spiritual than you are, or what, I don't know what it could be, but, but where are you? Are you that kind of person? Or are you someone who, who, who actually is really good about talking about their pain, talking about their troubles, talking about their issues, but that's maybe now become the thing that that's all you talk about and you never seem to move on from it and it creates a bit of an identity thing for you because you actually enjoy the, <coughs> you enjoy the, the attention or whatever that comes from it. Map yourself here, map yourself. Um, and remember, it's okay to not be okay. Got to admit that, but then it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. Here's the last thing, verse 14 to 24, on this, how do we lament? What is lament? In times of trouble, express trust in God and praise him. Because that's what David does here. So we'll carry on going. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies. He goes back into a... a uh, request you. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O oh Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to shield. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. What I want us to notice there, though, is verse 14. Right up front, we, we see what you could just call the classic shift that all of us need to make in, in, in these times, which is to turn something from just throwing your toys out the cot or, or you know, being sad or raising your fist at God to transitioning to true lament, godly lament. And the shift is this, that despite our circumstances, we need to actively choose in a moment to trust God. It's, it's, a, it's a shift that, 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 that we need to make. And what I love here, if you can, and maybe you're not a Christian and, and you're trying to grapple with who God is and suffering in this world and your own suffering, can I just point out to you here that for David, in David's heart and in David's mind in this psalm, there is no conflict at all between really bad circumstances and a God who loves him and that he can trust. There's no conflict in David's mind. He's happy to acknowledge, my life is awful right now, so much stuff is going wrong, and I can turn to God because he's good and I can trust him and he loves me. And I love that. It's right there on the pages, right there for us to see. And, and David, you'll see that he makes, right, he makes a conscious decision, and then he, he sort of coaches his heart and preaches to himself. God is good. I know God to be good. God is faithful. God is dependable. And I am going to choose right now actively to trust God, despite everything that I'm necessarily seeing around me, despite what's going on in my heart, I am going to trust you. And I think David believes exactly maybe what Paul would write a thousand years later, that, that God is at work for his good in all things. No matter what's going on, God's at work. We live, I was reading a book recently, and I love the phrase that the author used. He said, we live in a fathered world. We live in a fathered world. God is always at work in the good circumstances, in the bad. He is always doing something for the individual person's heart and their character and their growth 
for his kingdom. He's moving chess pieces around, but he is always at work. And David knows he can trust God. And then he carries on. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and that you have worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. I love that. God does his work in the sight of those who might not know him yet, so that they might see who he is. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. <clears throat> Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. See, this is, this is David here just turning and praising God for who he is, for what he's done. He's just, he's just worshiping God. He's just exulting in who God is in this moment, in the midst of everything that he's going through. I love it. David is someone who, who fears God, says that there. He fears God, and this is a massive comfort for him. And again, I think sometimes we wrestle with this thing of, is, should we fear a good God? Is, is fearing the God of the Bible an, an appropriate thing? And yes, it most absolutely is. Because if God is the most powerful, the most fearful being in the whole world, he's dangerous in a sense, then nothing else needs to fear us if, if he's with us. Nothing else needs to fear us. When this God, the great, powerful God, stores up goodness for us, as David says here. And so David, he, does, he sings praises. And I just want to say, does this not make God look amazing? The fact that David's going through this and he is like, God is good. God is so good. It, it, no doubt, it's, it's, God is good in the good times and the bad. And but I, but I think it's, 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 it's far easier to, to be able to say, praise God, when everything is going good. It's a whole other kettle of fish. And I think many of us will know this, seeing it in other people, when, when the chips are down and they are going through the mill and they can come on a Sunday and raise their hands in worship or lead worship or preach or whatever it is, and we know what they're going through, we just think, sheesh, God is, God is amazing. God is carrying this person. I think it sends a, an amazing message to the world around us. And, and I know um, chatting to people about faith and evangelism can sometimes be a really hard thing for many of us. Um, and it can, I don't know, sometimes it can feel awkward. But flip, the, what we can communicate to people through our lives and through our trust in God when we are going through it speaks volumes to those looking in. It speaks absolute volumes when they see Christ followers trusting God in hard times and the way that we handle our pain with God. Here's the closing verses here from David here. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. And then his final line, be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. David kind of ends, ends his psalm here, ends his lament by actually 
essentially calling other believers to come and join him. Come and join me praising this God who is so good. All you saints, love the Lord. Come and join me. Again, I think that is just an amazing witness or could be an amazing witness for our lives to be able to call others in our times of trouble. And we always get it the other way around. In our times of trouble, we're calling other people to help us. But imagine we're, we're actually calling other people to come and praise God with us in these times. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm nailing this. I'm, I'm desiring this for my, for my life here. And that's what I want to land on before we go to the, the, the second bucket here is that some of us might be in this space where we hear all this and it sounds, it sounds, I, this sounds good and this sounds like something I know I should be involved in and this sounds like the kind of person that I should be. Um, but maybe you're, you're unsure if you can praise God. You, you, you're unsure if you can make these declarations of trust because you're, sure, you're not sure where you stand with God or, or, or who God truly is. You know, maybe, maybe you've been visiting this church not that long and you're, you're trying to figure out this thing of faith. So let's just speak to this here. What did David believe? What was the confidence he had to, to call on God for help in, in the way that he does here? And <clears throat> that's just the second big bucket. It's the last, it's the last thing we're going to chat through here, which is the belief behind this lament, the belief behind this lament. And I think the sort of the foundational beliefs, the foundational framework, you can just find in those, in those first five verses. And so that's where I just want us to camp for the last bit here as we finish off. Let's just reread at the beginning of the psalm. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they've hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So verse 1, David doesn't want to be put to shame for trusting in God, for taking refuge in God. Um, and basically, he's, <coughs> he's praying for God to, to come through now in this moment so that he doesn't end up being the, lock, the laughing stock of all his enemies. Who've already, they're already taunting him, and they've already got stuff against him. So he's like, God, please come through. And I think we can all relate to that when we're like, God, I'm, 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 I'm going to go out on a limb here and trust you, and I seriously need you to come, to come through. Otherwise, I'm going to look like an idiot. <clears throat> and I don't know what it could be, a small thing, a big thing. <clears throat> but he appeals here to God's righteousness to deliver him. Okay? And in essence, he's kind of putting it back on God. He's saying, God, it would actually be wrong for you not to pull through right now um, in, the, in the ways that I'm asking. It's right that you pull through, God, right now, because, because you are always right. And so I'm appealing to your righteousness, God. And why is this? David's going to explain and make his argument now in the next few verses. So verses 2 and 3, um, there we go, verses 2 and 3, I think are absolutely central to, to David's mindset here. He asks God to, to be a rock of refuge for him and a strong fortress to save him. It's these two images of God, okay, a rock and a fortress. And he's making these two requests to God, essentially, one for shelter, 
to, to, to be a hiding place for refuge, and the other for salvation, for, for deliverance, for rescue. And David's asking God in his time of trouble, which he's now going to lay out, as we know, he's going to get into explaining that, saying, God, be a rock and be my fortress. And then verses three and four, he carries on here, giving his reasoning and his arguing behind his request for God. And David asks these things because God is those things and he's claimed to be those things. So if you've got your ESV translation, it'll say, uh, for you are a rock and a fortress. Or the NIV will say, since you are a rock and a fortress. But here's the thing. David is saying, be a rock and a fortress for me because you are and because you have said you are a rock and a fortress for me. He's holding God to his word. That, that's how David is sort of arguing in, in prayer here and coming towards God. Okay, he says, for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. The, the, the honor of your name is at stake here, God. Your glory is at stake here, God. And so I'm appealing to that. I'm appealing for you to do what is right because you are the God that does what is right. It's a bit scary, in a sense, that his, 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 his argumentation here, right? <clears throat> but then in verse 4 and 5, David continues with his, his, his address and his, his declaration of trust in God. And this is where it really comes home for us. Because note in, in these verses here, in verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> um, the concepts of, of refuge, hiding place, and salvation of rescue. Remember, David said, God, you are my rock of refuge and you are my fortress of salvation. And he makes big links here between God being a refuge, a hiding place, and his work of deliverance and salvation in, in the trouble that he, that he finds himself in. And they're linked. David basically says, one achieves the other. One achieves the other. In verse four, we see that David says, you take me out of the net. You're gonna be the God who will rescue me. That's salvation language here. It's deliverance language. But God saves him from his situation because God is a refuge for him. That's how he is gonna save David from this trouble. That's what we see coming up later in the psalm. David's saying, I'm gonna be saved by you in this trial as I take shelter in you. That is my salvation in this moment. And that concept is, is just all over the Bible, okay? You go back to the story of, of, of Noah's ark, the story of, of Noah being rescued from the flood by trusting God and sheltering in the ark, the place of refuge. You got it in, in the, the story of the Exodus, the Israelite slaves are delivered from Egypt by trusting God sheltering under the blood of the lamb, and they are set free. So whatever our troubles are gonna be in life, the things we're gonna face, we can trust God to, to save us and deliver us by being a shelter for us, okay? He's someone we can go to. He's someone we can hide in and we can rest in as the storm rages outside, as the battle goes on outside. Because the, the battle might continue, and the storm might be really, really long, not just one day, but 40 days. 
but we can hide in God in that time. God's promised us that. He hasn't promised to necessarily change this or do that or move this circumstance, but he has promised to incline his ear towards us and to be a rock of refuge for us, to be a place that we can run to, that we can hide in. And I suppose the invitation is for us to to be like David and to call on God to show his faithfulness, to come through in moments like this. And you've got to remember, David is relying on, on God's faithfulness, you know, on the fact that God is unchanging. He's appealing to the fact that God has done this before, that he knows who God is, that he's unmoving like a rock. He is stable. He is the rock of refuge. And I want to encourage us all today that we can be people like David, who says in verse 5, into your hands... I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Why, why, why can we be those people? It was because that's one of the very verses that Jesus quoted on the cross as he was dying. One of his, one of his final words as he gave up his immaterial spirit to God on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit for safekeeping. Why was Why was Jesus on the cross? Maybe you're visiting today and trying to figure out the Christian faith. Christ was on the cross because you and I need rescue. You and I need deliverance. Far more than from just the the bad circumstances from life, but for something so much deeper, so much more profound, our sin and its consequences in life, which is the thing that often causes all the rubbish in the world. Human sin. We need deliverance from that. And Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection provide that deliverance. Because on the cross, Christ went through that day of trouble. Christ took on the punishment for sin that you and I deserve. The great exchange that we sung about during worship where our sin goes on to him and by faith we have the ability to receive Christ's perfect righteousness, his merit, his good standing before God so that you and I can enter into the presence of God. We can have access to that fortress of salvation. We can have access into that rock rock of refuge. Like Noah being saved by believing God and sheltering in the ark, like the Israelites believing God, being rescued from slavery and death by sheltering under the blood of the Lamb, we are invited to shelter under the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of God. Of the world. And so now, if that's us, if you've, if you've done that, we can trust in God, I want to say, even, even more than David could, because we're on the other side of, of seeing God Himself come to the cross. We've got so much more to, to stand on and appeal to and eat for our own hearts, to preach to our own hearts that this is a God who we can depend on, a God who we can trust, a God who has shown love and commitment even more than David could ever have imagined at the time. Friends, you and I, in the darkest days, in the worst moments where you just want to stare at the blank wall and feel like you can't talk to anyone, we have a refuge and we have a rescue that is imperishable, that is unchanging. Okay? The, the, the veil between us and God has been torn. We have access to God's presence through the blood of Christ like never before, like never before. And I want to say this to myself, and I want to say this to us, to, to make use 
of the access that we have to enter boldly into the throne room of God in times of trouble and take refuge there. Take refuge in the goodness of God that he has stored up for us. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. And when everything is going wrong out there because of other people's sin, because of our sin, we can come to God. We can hide in God and we can do this and we can believe this 10 times over, 10 times over than David could because of what we, what we just celebrated at Christmas, right? The, the incarnation of God himself, not just remaining out there as a good God who would have been perfectly good and righteous, staying in heaven a million miles away in a sense. But no, this God came in flesh and he's not just aware of our suffering, he has, he's entered into it. He's entered into it, and his love and compassion is, is in some ways maybe even more deeply moved than it was in David's time because of the, the taste that he has had by taking on human flesh. He's not unable to sympathize with you and I and, and what we're going through in life. So come to Jesus. That's, that's the bottom line. Come to Christ. Whether you need to come to him in a time of trouble now, whether that day is still coming, whether you can aid someone else coming to shelter in Christ right now because of what they're going through, come to him. Come and shelter in his arms. In the midst of pain, come. Come and rest in the nailed, scarred hands of the one who loves you, the one who knows you, and let him be a rock of refuge and a fortress of salvation for you no matter what you are circumstantially going through. I invite Greg up because you're going to lead us through a time of communion now, Greg. Perfect. Um, we're going to ask the stewards to hand out the elements of the bread and the cup. Um, and while that's happening, two things are going to happen. Kyle's going to pray for <coughs> us, and then the music team are going to lead us in a song. If you could just hold on to the cup and hold on to the bread, and then we'll all partake together. That'll be, that'll be great. Thanks, bro. Should we do it everyone's seated? Shall we wait for everyone to sit down? We'll pray now. Pray now. Father God, we thank you for your plan of salvation, Lord. We thank you for sending Christ to take on human flesh, to know our pain. We thank you for the deep levels of compassion that Christ has for his people, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, in our suffering, in our sin. We thank you that we can come to you, that we can, that we can bring it all to you that we can lay it at your feet. We can lay it at the foot of the cross. We can bring our troubles to you. We can invite your help. We can ask you to do things, move things, chase things away. But today, God, we learn and know that one thing we can hold you to, God, is we can hold you to your word to be a shelter for us to come through on your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you have inclined your ear towards us, you have condescended to us, God. 
So we thank you for the open curtain, the access that we have through Christ's blood to your presence, to your Holy Spirit living inside of us, to the reality of relationship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. We thank you, God, that we are never alone no matter what we're going through, no matter the family strife, the family drama, the political upheaval, the cultural carnage, the just sin and suffering that we see around us in life and that we experience in our own souls and our own bodies. All of that, Lord, despite the fact that it happens, does not keep you away. You carve out safe space for us amidst the chaos, Lord, of your presence. And we can come and hide, and we can come and shelter, and we can come and take refuge in your strength and your stability and the goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and that you work towards us in the sight of the children of mankind. And for that, we are grateful. Amen.